0: This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good evening, Redemption Tempe. Um, Before we get started here, um, anyone, if anyone needs a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We have people walking down the aisle who are able to give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, that is your Bible. Uh, If you do have a Bible and you take this one, we won't send collections after you, but you will be stealing from the church, so weigh that out. No. Feel free to take the Bible. Uh, My name is Jim Mullins. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption, and um, it's a real gift for me to be able to lead us through this text today. Um, You might want to go ahead and put your finger in Romans 15, uh, verse 22. And uh, before I jump in, I have one last announcement that I want to make. Can anybody here tell me how many congregations we have at Redemption? Someone said eight, and that is true, but that right there is changing. We get to announce a new church plant coming um, in just a few weeks. Uh, Sean Myers, the guy who who has come up on stage, he's preached here a couple times in the last few months. He used to be an intern uh, or a resident at Arcadia. He was at Tempe for a while. We get the privilege of sending him to Peoria to plant Redemption Peoria, so that's a pretty exciting thing. They're, they're, they're actually going to be meeting the second, the, the, the first week after the Super Bowl. Um, and they're going to be meeting at the Performing Arts Center. Uh, there's about 60 people who've been gathering as redemption communities over the last several weeks. And they will start meeting as Redemption Peoria pretty soon. So if you know folks in Peoria, especially people who don't have a church, uh, connect them uh, with us and we can connect them to Redemption uh, Peoria. Uh, Today, we're going to look at Romans 15, verse 22, and then through 16, chapter 16 through verse 16. So it's a big chunk of scripture. I'm not going to take a really long time through it. Uh, But this is a rich, um, like every verse in Romans, it's inspired by God, it's rich, it can shape us, and it it, it is profitable for rebuke and teaching. But when I first looked at this passage, my first thought was, oh, man, how am I going to teach this passage? Because at first glance, basically what you're looking at here is Paul's logistics, his plan, his travel plans, and a bunch of greetings to 28 separate people. And so I thought, how, what am I going to do to teach? To teach this, it looked, it, if at first glance, it looked like it could be like an entry from Paul's travel blog where he says, oh, I'm going to Spain, I'm going to Rome, I'm going to Jerusalem, or even an acceptance speech for an award where he says, I want to greet Urbanus and Tryphena and Trifosa and all of those sorts of things. But really, when you look deeper at this passage, these passages that we tend to skim over, there is rich, life-shaping truth. In all of God's Word. And I think as we look at this passage today, there are at least three implications for how we participate in God's mission. Because what what Paul is doing here is he's giving his travel plans and sending his greeting, and it's all details and logistics about his church planting strategy and the way that he participates in God's mission. So I'm going to give you those implications in a, in a few minutes, but first I just want to summarize and give you the big picture of what's happening in this passage. So verse 22 through 29, this is really Paul's travel plans. Paul talks about going to two places primary, prim, uh, primarily. He's saying, I'm going to Spain, and I want to go to Jerusalem, but on my way, I'm going to stop in Rome. He wants to go to Rome because he wants to be refreshed, and have fellowship with this robust Roman church. This church that had been planted in this big, powerful city. And Paul wants to go there and have fellowship with them, be prayed for by them, and to be sent off to Spain. And then what Paul says here is that his, the first place he's going is he's headed to Jerusalem. He's going from the Gentile churches in Asia Minor, and he's taking this offering and bringing it to Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem had a famine. And what Paul is doing is he's gathering money from all of the churches in in Asia Minor, these Gentile, these non-Jewish churches, and bringing money back to Jerusalem, the place where the church started, to help support Christians who are suffering and who are hungry. But then he says, after he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to head to Spain. He wants to go to Spain because that's really the ends of the earth where the churches need to be planted. And he's going to continue planting churches among the unreached there. But in between Jerusalem and Spain, he's got plans to go east. east. He's got plans to go west. But in the meantime, he's going to land in Rome and spend some time with the Roman church for a while. Then we get to verse 30. Verse 30 is Paul's appeal to this Roman church, this church in Rome, to pray for him, to pray that he would be delivered from the persecution that is inevitably going to come. As he goes to Jerusalem, as he gets closer to Israel, there are all kinds of people who are looking out for Paul. And if they see him, they'll try to arrest him or kill him or something worse. Paul, because he was preaching the gospel, had many enemies in that area. And so Paul, in verse 30, asks them to pray that he would be delivered from them so that he could give the financial gift to the church in Jerusalem and then ultimately head out to Spain. And then when we get to Romans 16, verses 1 through 16, we see Paul extends greetings to roughly, it's probably more than that, but specifically 28 different gospel workers in Rome. And he expresses deep affection for them and and thanks them for what they're they're doing. So that's basically the summary of the passage. And the three implications that I see for mission are this. One is that we go to the places of great need as we participate in mission. We go to places of great need. Two is that we stay anchored in the place where God has you. And three, we send others to the place God has for them. So let's go ahead and start with that point number one, that we move to the places of great need. Now, Paul, what he's doing in this passage is he's essentially telling you where he wants to go. And he's telling the Roman church where he wants to go, and he's making his travel plans and deciding what he wants to do and where he's going to go based on what he sees in the world. He looks out. And he sees some needs, some needs, and he says, I'm moving towards those. Now, what is inspiring him to do that? See, the backdrop of what Paul has in mind is he has this big, robust mission of God in his mind. He knows that Paul doesn't have a mission. God has a mission, and that Paul is just playing a part within it. He knows that in the beginning, God created everything as good to flourish, Physical, spiritual, social, flourishing was the way things were meant to be, but then sin comes in and creates a rupture in the world, a brokenness in the world, and it affects everything. We're alienated from God. We're alienated from each other. We're alienated from the physical world, but then God breaks in to heal the world and and to restore and to forgive sin through Jesus, who walks a perfect life, who lives perfect righteousness, the righteousness we cannot live out. He lives out on our behalf. The perfect, beautiful life. In in his face, we see the glory of God. And in his humanity, we see what humanity was really supposed to be like. But then he goes to the cross, and he bears the weight of our sin, and the full weight of the rupture of the fall comes on him, and he bears it all. He pays the penalty. And then three days later, he's resurrected. He's healed. He's whole, a a, a whole resurrected body as the first fruits of a new creation that's coming one day where all things will be made right and all things will be good. And in the meantime, Paul knows our work here is to work towards little signs of restoration that point to that day and to proclaim the gospel of of the Jesus that came in and rescued us from the rupture. And that's what Paul has as the backdrop. So when he looks out into the world and he sees need. He sees places where the mission hasn't extended yet. Where there's not witness yet. Where there is brokenness and the effects of the fall currently present. He looks at those things and he says, I am moving towards those places. One is to the west, which is Spain. And the other is to the east, which is Jerusalem. Let's look at those two places. Paul says he's going to Spain because he's finished the work all the way from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Anyone here from Illyricum? No? (laughs) Didn't think so. Illyricum is modern-day Albania, actually. So what Paul is saying is that he's basically finished the work all the way from Jerusalem to modern-day Albania, and now he must move on. Let me show you where he says this. We're actually going to go back to verse 18, one of the verses we covered last week, but I think it's important for context. Paul says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So here we see Paul's mission, what Paul is all about. God has called Paul to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's, it's really God accomplishing something through Paul, not Paul accomplishing something. He says, by word and deed, by and, and you can see proclamation and demonstration here. Then in verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. What Paul is saying here is that his great ambition is to preach the gospel where it has never been named before. To go to the places where, the, where, the, where there's nobody, there's nobody there. And so that's his ambition. And in verse 22, it says, this is the reason why I have, I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Let me ask you this. How is it, that Paul can say that he has fulfilled his ministry. That, that he has no longer any work to do in that region. B- between Jerusalem and Illyricum, or modern-day Albania, there's 1,700 miles. 1,700 miles. And Paul says, I have no work left between that 1,700 miles. If you were to try to walk, I got on Google... And I checked out how long it would take to walk from Jerusalem to Albania. Any guesses out there? 50 days. That's a, that's a good guess. It's 557 hours. Now, even, even the, the, the crazy triathlon people in this congregation here probably aren't going for 550,000 or 550 hour walks. That's how long it would. It was how long it would take me 550,000 hours, but some of you would take 557. But if you can imagine getting at the end of a 557-hour walk, turning around and saying, "From here to where I started, I have no room for any work. I've accomplished it all. I have fulfilled my ministry." And and Paul is saying that. So what is Paul saying? Is he saying that everyone's a Christian within that space? No. Is he saying that, is he saying that, um, that there's no, no work for ministry for anyone to do? No, but essentially what Paul's role was, is he planted reproducing churches in areas where there was no church, where there was no witness. And it would be this small, fledgling church with a few elders who were appointed. And that church would grow, and it would bear witness to the entire region. And when that church was planted, Paul would move on, because he, he said that there are still places that have never heard of Jesus, still people who have never heard of Jesus. So I must keep going. And Paul had planted churches sufficiently through the, through the whole region of what is now Turkey and Greece and, and, and Eastern Europe, and he's saying, I'm moving on to Spain. I'm going to, Spain was really symbolic of the ends of the earth in that time. And Paul said, I'm going to the ends of the earth to bring the gospel. <clears throat> but Paul, before he goes to Spain, he's going to take a detour in Jerusalem, which is like not a detour at all. It's completely the opposite direction. He goes east and he goes to Jerusalem. Why? In Verse 25, he says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to bring some contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. So here's what's happening. Paul hears about this famine in Jerusalem. He hears that people are hungry, the place where the church originated. That is, is struggling, and there's poverty. And so what he does is he rallies up the Gentile churches, and he says, listen, you have received the spiritual blessings that come from being a part of Israel's redemptive history and knowing as your Lord and Savior, Israel's Messiah. You can share in the, in the physical blessings and the physical needs that they have as well. And the Gentile churches jumped all over it. And they gave money, and Paul was delivering that money to Jerusalem. But Paul, what he did is he looked out and he saw a need. He saw a physical need, that there were people in the world, there were believers, there were others who were struggling in the midst of poverty. And with both his trip to Spain and Jerusalem, what is he doing? He's looking out. It's not too complicated, it's not too mystical, but Paul looks out and he says, there's a need, there's something i can do about it i'm going to move toward it and i think we can learn from paul here that this is what the church does we open our eyes and where we see need we move toward it one of one of the most moving stories i've i've uh, seen with this was i was once at a church service and it was awesome it was a church service about community and it was it was beautiful like The sermon was beautiful. Everybody was singing with raised hands. It was great. And we were coming forward and taking communion. And my wife, I realized she had disappeared. Like, she was behind me, and then all of a sudden she was gone. Like, who disappears during communion? Like, I was quite concerned what would have happened. But she was gone, and I couldn't find her anywhere in the church. And what I realized is that the entire time that we were were in this church service, There was a woman in the front row, and she was weeping. She was weeping. And my wife didn't just walk past her, but she saw her. And my wife, she does the way she does, had her arms around her, and they were crying together, and they were praying together. And I realized that even though this woman was in the front of the church, hundreds of people walked past her and never even saw. And I was one of them. And what Paul is doing here is he has the eyes to see the need, and he moves toward it. Another another example of this, in a few weeks, we've got a really great first Wednesday coming up. Seriously, it's probably going to be my favorite first Wednesday. I know that I always say that every first Wednesday is my favorite first Wednesday, and they all are. But this one really is my favorite first Wednesday. Uh, One of my dear friends, Jeremy Courtney, is coming out. And uh, to know about Jeremy Courtney is to know that he's a guy who looks out and sees need and moves toward the need. In the middle of the Iraq War in 2005, he, uh, he decided that it would be a good place if he was going to follow Jesus. Where would Jesus be in the world? He'd probably be in Iraq. He'd probably be hanging out in Iraq. So I'm gonna, he said he's, he's going to go to Iraq. He, and he brought his little family, two young toddler children And they moved to Iraq with the goal of just being in Iraq, seeing the needs, and seeing what they could do. They they liked the language of preemptive strike, but they put a gospel twist on it. They said the preemptive love coalition is what they started. And they went to Iraq, and they looked around, and they saw all of these Iraqi children with heart disease. And they found out that because of chemical weapons and because of sanctions and all these things that have happened in Iraq, that have just pounded that community over and over again, that there were people there, that children there were ten times more likely to have heart problems than children in other parts of the world. So what they started doing is they started shaking the couch cushions and getting the money they had. They found some Kurdish shoes in the market, and they started selling those, and they started making friends with doctors and bringing doctors to Iraq to train Iraqi doctors. And raising money for heart surgeries. And even in the midst of all of that's been going on with ISIS, they have not left. Because they know that we need to stay there for the, these children who need heart surgeries. And this just a few weeks ago, even as ISIS is walking through the streets, they performed their thousandth heart surgery. And they will not go. Because of that faithfulness, they have many opportunities to proclaim the gospel, and they've met leaders of the country, and God has much favor on their life. But it didn't start with some grand plan. It started with saying, hey, look, there's a need. There's brokenness. There's pain. There's people who don't know Jesus. I'm just moving towards that. And and we often can over-mystify things. I do believe that God speaks to us through prayer and can guide us into things and leads us into specific things that he has for us. I believe that God has created us for specific good works that we are to walk in. But there is nothing, until we have absolute clarity on stuff, there is nothing wrong with the method of saying, that's a need, I have some resources, I'm moving toward that thing. And, and that's how Paul framed where he was going and what he was doing. One of the most beautiful things about this passage is Paul never makes it to Spain. So it's interesting that Paul, even in Scripture, it's written in Scripture, Paul intends to go to Spain. He believes he's going to Spain, but he actually does get arrested when he's in Jerusalem. And he eventually becomes a prisoner in Rome, and to our knowledge, he never even makes it to Spain. And it's okay to have these ambitions and wanting to move needs. And if God wants to move you something somewhere else or do something else with you, you don't have to figure out his will for every minute of your life. Just open your eyes and say, where is brokenness? Where does the mission need to be extended? And move toward those things. Let me give you an example of some needs that we could be moving towards. This is not a comprehensive list, but hopefully it will stoke your imagination a bit. The first one is unreached people groups. The, the reality is, is that a third of the world lives in a place where there is no access to the gospel. None. That if, they, if someone in that area were to walk out in the streets and say, somebody tell me about Jesus, there would not be a church for them to go to, a believer to hear that voice or even a bible in their language that someone could give to them but who hears their voice god hears their voice and he sends people like us to follow paul on his path who as paul went to spain we move the church moves to those places and brings the gospel to the places where it does not yet thrive and exist and where there's not a witness to plant the church so I'm going to be honest with you. One of my real prayers is that God would raise up people from this congregation who would go to uh, the, the Uyghurs of China or the Zaza in Turkey and to the people who have no witness as of yet. Another big need that we have is, um, number two, is, is um, science. Uh, there are, I find that there are... Many Christians who are afraid of science and therefore not moving into science fields. And I know that many of you are in college or making decisions and things like that. Let me say, as believers, as people who know the God who created everything, you don't need to be afraid of science. Science can, in many ways, serve people, and it needs to have the presence of believers in the scientific world. Abraham Kuyper, the famous Dutch theologian, said that when you do good science and you discover different things in the world, what you're doing is you're thinking thoughts after God. When God created something, you are thinking a thought that he once had in creation. And we need more believers in the scientific world. Another one is education. Uh, As of this fall, there were 500 vacancies in our education system. The, the need for teachers is huge. And right now, it's really hard. Uh, you don't get paid very well. Things are very complicated. But there's a need for more teachers, such a need that I've read an article the other day that they're actually going to the Philippines and recruiting teachers to come to Arizona and teach. But as believers in the church, we see need. We see kids who need teachers, and we move towards a need like that. Another one would be foster care. There are 15,000 kids in the foster care system, and there aren't enough beds for them. And, and uh, that's where families, believing families, look. Like my, my friends, the Corios, they say it's not very complicated. We looked and we saw we had a bedroom, and that there were kids who needed a bedroom, so we connected the two together. And foster care is one need that we can move towards. So, whether it's unreached people groups, science, education, foster care, if you are moved by any of those things, I would love to get you together with some like minded people, or if you are already working on one of those things. So, if that's you, fill out your name on the info card in the back of the seat, say what you want to talk about, and I'm going to get you together with some people to talk about those things. But this leads us to the fifth place of need your actual neighbor. So we can think about big systemic issues, unreached people groups, things like that. But oftentimes it is our neighbor who has significant need and who needs someone to come and to listen to them and to love them. It's very interesting that in a world that we live in today, uh, you can know people from 25 different states. But you may not know someone who lives right next door or on the street over. We are not people of a place. And and what we really need to do, maybe some of the most substantial needs are all around us, but we're distracted in this global, uh, technologically connected world. And so sometimes it's the people around us that we work with and our neighbors. You're not going to get pats on the back. You're not even going to get a bracelet for the cause. But there's need, and we move towards it. So... uh, Many of you, you wonder like, which need do I go to? I don't know. All five of those things, those are just examples. And and how do you sort out what you're supposed to do? I haven't the slightest idea, actually. Uh, ask people, look for needs, move towards those things. This isn't a comprehensive list, but it does lead me to my second point, which I think is very important, even if it seems contradictory to this point, which is. Stay anchored in the place that God has you. Now, this is, I think it's really implied in the text. It doesn't explicitly say it in the text, but it is implied. Because Paul does not command the entire Roman church to go to Spain or to go to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, he spends 16 verses commending them for where they are at in Rome and what they are doing in Rome. He gushes with affection for people like Phoebe and Priscilla and Aquila and Andronicus and Junia and uh, Tryphena and Tryphosa. There's even someone named Narcissus in that list, which is like, that'd be kind of a rough life, right? Like you go introduce yourself. Hi, my name's Narcissus. Excuse me, did you say Narcissus? No, it's Narcissus. It's a different thing. But he, it would be kind of a rough life, you could say. But Paul gushes with admiration and love for all of these people. Because what is happening here is these people, these 16 um, verses that describe 28 people, this isn't just a casual list, but this is a list of the people that God has rooted in a particular place in Rome to bear witness to Jesus, to be a countercultural community in the most powerful city in the world at that time. And while everyone else is saying, yes, Caesar is Lord, he is the one where our hope and our success comes through. They are saying, no, there is a greater Lord, and his name is Jesus. And Paul also affirms them in Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. You remember when we, went to the, when we looked at that passage? What Paul does is he's describing what it looks like to be this countercultural community in the midst of the most powerful place in the world. He He here's what he describes the church as. He basically says the church is the place that gushes with genuine love and hospitality and affection. That delights in what is good and pushes against what is evil. That sees no task is below them but views themselves as a servant to all. That clings to Christ and not Caesar through prayer. And that meets enemies with love because we were met with love by God when we were his enemies. Paul did not even think about going and staying in Rome. That wasn't his plan or ambition, although he ended up doing that because he was imprisoned in Rome. But he didn't even think he had to go there because of the work that this community did, the fact that they were rooted. Paul is going all the time. These people are staying, and they're rooted, and they're anchored in a place Reminding us of what we often read in Jeremiah 29, of those who seek the shalom of the city, who plant gardens, who build houses, who stay there. And one way we can participate in God's mission is to stay rooted. To stay rooted in a world that's saying, no, keep moving on. The whole world is is like a buffet for you. Everything is a commodity. You need new experiences. You have new opportunities. Do something new, new, new. And when we do that, we never stay in the same industry for a long time. Or we never stay in the same neighborhood for a long time. Or the same city. Or even care for the same cause as, as different causes tend to ebb and flow with what's popular. Whether it's AIDS or sex trafficking or, or whatever. But, but basically, we need, it's hard in our day to be rooted and focused. See... See, Tempe and really the whole East Valley is a place that people tend to use rather than bless. They come here to create a customized life, to get away from something else, often to get an education and then to move somewhere else. But the reality is there's nothing wrong with moving here, but if you're going to move here, be rooted here and love the place where you're at. Be like this Roman church that had their roots deep and deliberately love a place. Make decisions on where you live and work and play by seeking the the shalom of the place where you're at. Jim Elliott, a man who was accustomed to moving on to new places. Um, A missionary who ultimately died in Latin America as he was bringing the gospel to the place where it was not yet. He said this. He said, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. Be fully locked into the place that God currently has you in. Because in Romans 17, it says God is the one who determines when and where we're going to live. And he may move you on to some other place at some other time. But while you're here or wherever you are, be all there. We live in a world where, frankly, many of us actually live in our minds in New York every evening when we go home and we watch TV shows and movies for hours. Think about that. Most TV shows and movies actually take place in New York. And so many of us can name different neighborhoods and the happenings of New York and what New York is really like than the place where we actually live here and now. Be rooted. As a part of God's mission, now I have a confession to make. I'm not very good at this. I am a dreamer. I'm, I am. I am not lying when I'm telling you I have stacks of journals with ideas I've had, and it wears my wife out. And I, I often imagine myself doing a lot of different things. And I, I'm like a lot of you who, who looks at so many options in the world and says, "What should I do? What should I do?" Let me just read you a list of things that I've brought up to my wife over the years. (laughs) Suggestions of things that maybe I could do with my life. Number one, it's a really easy one. Just a simple thing to start out with. Let's start an NGO in Afghanistan. Number two, maybe I should become a chef who masters South Asian cuisine. Number three, I had about a dozen web app development. I don't even know how to turn on my computer half the time. but I wanted to be a web developer, farmer in Morocco, English teacher in Saudi Arabia, a politician, I thought about it from a different, few different angles, a, a peacemaker in Cyprus, a basketball scout in Iran, start a food, tra- food truck with refugees, I wanted to be a spice maker, I thought that would be pretty cool, to <laughs> grind up spices and those sorts of things, uh, I once proposed an idea to start a car dealership that would change the way that cars are sold, and it would be a nonprofit car dealership. In the, in, over the years that I've been married, I'm not kidding you, I've had no less than 50 executive summaries of businesses that uh, I've wanted to start. And over the years, I started a few, and I started a few nonprofits. But a lot of them have ended up with lists like this. And then last but not least, i got to get this one in here. Maybe I should get in shape so that I can go play for the Cardinals and help them win a Super Bowl. So, you know you dream like this. We as Americans, we have so many options for us that actually if we applied ourselves, we could do a ton of things. But because we know that we can do a ton of things, we end up not living in the place where we're actually at and rooted and caring about our local places. This really struck me a few years ago. It really hit me hard. Because what I was doing, I was, I was leading a nonprofit that I had helped start. I was sort of living my dream. I was involved with a lot of international issues, meeting well-known people and being able to even share the gospel with them. Was flying over all over the world, and it was going to D.C. and, and, and all of these different places, and it was pretty exciting. But then God stopped me in my tracks. We sat with a doctor as the doctor told us that our our daughter was diagnosed with autism and that if my daughter were going to thrive, I needed to make some changes in my life. Uh, We realized that I shouldn't travel as much and I shouldn't be involved with so many things, so I stepped back from the nonprofit that I had helped start. I stepped back from it, um, and then actually at that time I was working central ops for redemption and was kind of floating between congregations and said, no, we need to be rooted in one congregation and simplify our life. And instead of meeting with these famous people, I got to meet with someone even more important, my little daughter, and to really simplify my life and be rooted. And as I work in the garden and spend time with my sweet daughter, She has taught me something profound, which I think is important and true. That there is glory and significance in the ordinary and insignificant. Because every place is Jesus' place that he declares as his. Every person is made in his image. And if we get the privilege of being in a particular place for a time and serving some image bearers, that is no light thing. That is important. That is good. And now I know that the trajectory of my life isn't probably going to correspond with the the old dreams that I had. I'm probably going to be here in the Phoenix metro area. The trajectory for most of my life. This is the trajectory. I don't know what God's going to do. And I'm probably going to be in a a city that's not the most significant city. It's not uh, the great powerful city of the world. But I'm going to be in a place, I'm going to have a a, a fine job, a good job where I get to serve some people. I'll probably be like a backup pastor like I am now, like the Drew Stanton of pastors or something like that. And I'm going to do some good work. I'm going to get to serve some people. And one day I'll die and be completely forgotten about. No book, no famous thing that I started. But that is good and it is okay because I will have walked with Jesus, I will have walked with a sweet little image bearer of God named Eliana and been a part of a place that belongs to the King. And that is no small thing. And we as in order to participate in the mission, we need people who are constantly moving to the places of great need. And we need people who are rooted and anchored in a particular place. And in the course of our life there will be times of going and there will be times of staying. You may be asking, how do I I know which one I'm supposed to do? And I can't give you a clear formulaic answer. Get around community. Ask advice. Pray like crazy. And then make a decision. Get to know who you are and how God has gifted you. And then make a decision. And do some stuff. Whether you're setting sail and going. Or you're dropping the anchor and staying. Both of those can be good choices. But I'll tell you what is not. What is not? Drifting, aimlessly being tossed by the wind and the waves and floating through life without a lack of intention. The great king has brought us into his mission. And we don't have to get everything right. We don't have to work it out perfectly. But we should move with intention. We should go or stay with intention. And so that's my my real prayer for us. Which brings me to the third point. To send others to the place that God has for them. Send others to the place that God has for them. We are all goers and we are all senders. See, everyone in this room, God is using for his purposes in the world and for his believers as a part of his mission. And so the people sitting around you need you. We are made for one another. This is not a self-centered endeavor. We are not... Named narcissists, like we are not focused on ourselves. Mission is about being a part of a body, being a piece of a puzzle that supports and, and encourages others. And you see this in this text. Verses 1 through 16 list all of these people that Paul desperately needs in order to thrive within his mission. And they need Paul as well. And he gushes with affection for them and he has been encouraged by them he's by, been financially supported he's been prayed for and his soul has been encouraged by them verse one and two he talks about phoebe i don't know much about phoebe but i like phoebe phoebe's the first person on the list presumably this single woman probably a businesswoman. she she had a lot of money and it says that she helps with the financial and logistical resources, that she was a patron of Paul and of many of the other saints. In other words, she had the financial means to really help their mission thrive, and she financially supported them in great ways. Uh, she was a servant. Verse, verse 3, Paul talks about Priscilla and Aquila, this sweet couple that he, he worked side by side with, making tents in Ephesus. They didn't have the financial resources then to fully pay for their, for their work. Uh, so they had to, to work with their hands and make tents. And they made tents together. And they planted the church in Ephesus. And uh, Paul says that, that uh, as they worked shoulder to shoulder, Priscilla and, and Aquila risked their necks for Paul. They actually put their life on the line for Paul. And then verse 7 There's a whole lot of people here, but verse 7, Andronicus and Junia. Here's here's the cool thing about Andronicus and Junia. It says that they had been in Christ longer than Paul. In other words, they had been believers since before Paul was even a believer. Presumably, they are uh, some of the older people in the church. And they had this reputation among the apostles that that they were these uh, great people that served the church well and sent people well. You can imagine them with this grandfatherly and grandmotherly wisdom, but they weren't just giving wise words, but they actually suffered in prison with Paul and were with him in the time of need. And so in this church, it's really easy for those of you who are over 50 to think, oh, the young people got it in the mission, but we need you as well. And Paul goes on to name all of these people that he needs for the mission. And then he says in verse 30, I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be fresh in your company. Paul is saying, I need you. I need you to not just throw a few prayers out for me every once in a while, but to strive in your prayers for me. Because I'm going to a place where people, I've got a target on my back, and I need you to pray for me. And then when I get near you, I need to be with you and be refreshed in your company. I am coming to you with joy. I need to be refreshed by you. And we as the church are not individuals that are sent out, but we are a community that needs one another. I, I just want to commend real quickly the RC leaders in this church who have done an incredible job of of shepherding, really, their communities to meet the needs of the saints within this church. For the last couple years, if someone is in a community, I have, we, we've almost never had to take care of them financially or support them in some way because their, their community has actually taken care of it. And we, the church is very generous in, the, in that way. But I want to encourage us to even go deeper and not just be reactive with giving, but be proactive. Proactive. And proactive in our prayers. Let's build portfolios. You know how people have investment portfolios where they, you know, they kind of hedge their bets. They invest in a lot of things. What if we did that with those that we supported? Not just financially, but in prayer. And not just professionals, but all of us who are being sent to all of our different sectors. Whether it's a sales job or you're working as a janitor, you're living all of life, is all for Jesus, and you need people praying for you, supporting you, encouraging you, opening their homes, opening their hearts, opening their wallets. And let's have a portfolio of people that we say, it's not just about me and my role in the mission, but I'm a part of supporting what God is doing through other people as well. So those are the real three ways that we can... Participate in the mission. Three implications that we get from this text that we go to the places of great need, that we stay anchored in the place that God has for us, and that we send others to the place that God has for them. And let me just close with this. When we think about mission and when we read this text, it's very easy for us to identify with Paul. The most, probably the most well known person in the Bible outside of Jesus. You know, you go throughout the world and you, people know who Paul is, but do they know who Andronicus is? Do they know who Urbanus is? Tryphena and Tryphosa, Phlegomon, and all of the other hard names to pronounce in this text. No. A lot of these people only get one mention in the Bible, just their name, said my beloved Urbanus. That's it. And while these people were well-known to the church in Rome, we don't know anything about them. And if our participation in God's mission is about making a name for ourselves, it's going to be a futile pursuit. Most of us in this room are like Urbanus and and Patrobus, that we're going to live our life and our names will be forgotten, but we will have had a chance to serve the king. And participating in the mission is not about our names and making a name for ourselves. But it is about the greatest name the world has ever heard. The name that will in, endure eternally. The name that every heart needs to know. The name that, of the one who came and rescued us and brought us into his mission. The, the one whose name fuels our mission and everything we do. The name of Jesus. And so let me just read these words as, as medicine to your soul to humble us and to show us that our names are not the important names and that the names on this list are not even the important names, but it's the name of Jesus that is the name of significance. We'll close with this Philippians 2 verse 4 through 11. Let each of you Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's pray.